His name is Heston Blumenthal. He's dived headfirst into the culinary universe for the past 25 years, pushing to the farthest reaches of our food understanding. And now he's asked us to join him on the ride. My name's Jay Taylor. I've been Heston's TV producer for many years, and I'm now your host as we join him on this voyage of discovery. And on today's show, we're welcoming our first ever guest, and not just any guest, the man who helped first inspire Heston to question everything about cooking and a food science pioneer, Harold McGee, to explore his latest groundbreaking work about the power of smell. So get your nostrils ready as we say hello to a man who always smells delightful, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, sir. Hello, Jay. I am so excited. My knees are wobbling. (laughs) And bouncing up and down at the same time, which is not necessarily a pretty sight, but it is a sight of excitement. Do you know, I, I, I did hear something, I don't know if this is true or not, <clears throat> that there's a sort of base frequency of the earth as a result of it spinning around the you know, Milky Way. And if you move your, if you relax your legs and just go up, take one leg and just raise slow slowly with the ball of your foot lift your heel off the floor slowly and you'll get to a point where your knee will start shaking keep doing it keep doing it keep doing it that apparently apparently is the same frequency now that might be a load of twaddle but as we are famous (laughs) for very heavily researched hardened scientific facts without any creativity i thought it was an interesting piece of information Yes, welcome in, Harold. You may, just a, a warning ahead of time. Your all the reputation you've built up over the past decades may well and truly be washed away on a flood of journey to the centre of food uh, nonsensical science. But it is a, a delight to have you here, sir. How are you? Our very first guest. Well, uh, it's an honour to be with you, and uh, I'm doing fine, and and really delighted to see all of you and and hear all of you. Well, before we get to your work and your amazing new book, I first wanted to ask Heston about his relationship with you because you've been such a big part of his career from the very beginning of it throughout the years that he's been pioneering as he has. So, Heston, can you explore and explain a little bit about Harold and how you first met him and the impact he's had on you over the years? Um, Yes, I'll try and keep it into under three hours. But I I bought Harold's book when I was about 20, uh, 1985. And I failed my chemistry level at school and I'd, I'd fallen down my multi-sensory rabbit hole in the sense that I had this incredible experience in this restaurant down the road from where I live now, like nothing I'd experienced before, but it was the, it was all the, 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 the sensory memories that, 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 that I really kind of got inside me, so to speak, you know, the noise of the crickets and the, and the smell of the lavender and it was just stuff that I'd never knew existed. I had no experience with, with, with gastronomic restaurants whatsoever. Incredible setting. And I got hooked on cooking. So I bought, I bought um, uh, all the great chefs' cookbooks and I started cooking from them. And every year I would go to France and blow a year's savings on a, on a week to two weeks holiday, going to restaurants and butchers and fishmongers and patisseries and, and wineries and cheesemakers, etc. And going through the basis of classical French cooking. And then well, I bought Harold's book and it was a, it was a hefty tome. And with my failing of my chemistry O-level, um, it wasn't, parts of it weren't the easiest to read. However, it was one of those books where you'd look into the, go into the index and look, look for something, and especially with my ADHD, I'd end up looking for, I don't know, professor roles and end up finding myself 
staring at the face of meat cooking or something. I was just, oh, look, what's that? And then forgetting what I, what I was looking for in the first place. Anyway, um, there was um, a section in her book on cooking meat where Harold basically said that browning meat does not keep in the juices. It's, it's incredibly important for flavor and other things, but it doesn't seal the juices. And when he went to explain, went on to explain why, it made absolute, complete and utter sense. So I just realized I had believed one of the most biblical kitchen laws that existed. I just took it for gospel. I thought, my God, if that's not true, if, if, if brownie meat doesn't keep in the juices and, and, and Harold's explanation made it completely clear to me and obvious, I thought how many other things that I've read verbatim and learned and just, just followed and listened to aren't true. So I then went back to everything I'd learned and started to question everything. For me, it was a book unlike any other book that had ever been written. I've, it, the most impactive book on food that I've ever read um, and was just the catalyst for me. I had realized how much or rather how little we know and how much there is to learn. And I gradually through my questioning went forwards and backwards and backwards and forwards at the same time. And that led really to my relationship with food, not just cooking, but actually eating. And in that process of, of questioning with my imagination and, uh, and this continual internal dialogue of, with myself. So, you know, while I was cooking, if a leek smells different right at the bottom from it, the, the, by the roots than it does or tastes different or the texture is different, when you cut it a centimeter up the leek, tastes different, texture is different, smells different, then all the, the, it's like a zoom in to the universe of, of, of textures and the universe of flavors and the universe of cooking and, 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 and farming and fishing and anything related to food and our relationship with food. So then I wrote, I thought, oh, I'm going to I'll write to Harold. And I never heard anything. And so I get, I'll, I'll pass over to Harold for, for the, the other side of this, of this moment, and then I'll come back to leading up to our meeting. Well, yes. Yeah, so um, I was traveling when you sent your email. And this we have to remember now, this is like the, the late 90s when yeah. email was, you know, a, a little iffier than it is these days. Anyway, yeah. I got back. I, I found your email. Uh, and I remember it very well because you said you introduced yourself by saying, uh, I am a chef. I'm, I have a restaurant west of London. Um, I do strange things on my menu. <laughs> and then you <laughs> listed a few of the dishes, which did indeed mm. strike me as uh, unusual and fascinating. And so I wrote back and said, uh, Sorry for the late reply, as usual, uh, but but happy to help out. And then I guess my message got lost in the ether or something. Yeah. And so we we never actually uh, were in touch with each other until we met in person in an airport, uh, like a yes. year later. <clears throat> we were off to the um, Erice, which is a town in Sicily, for the molecular gastronomy. Um, workshop i was with peter barham the professor of physics at bristol university we were getting on the plane to go from italy it may but it might have been milan to to sicily palermo 
and then Peter said, and this is Harold, and I expected a sort of, you know, sort of maybe a character from, from uh, Lord of the Rings with a very long pointed beard. And I didn't expect this sort of fresh faced, very smiley young person. We shook hands. And I remember the first words that came out of my mouth, which was, it's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Harold, with this guy? Did you know who Heston was? Did you remember who it was? Or just some guy coming up to you saying, it's your fault? Uh, I, I, you know, that's a good question. I don't remember whether I, whether I remembered <laughs> immediately. <laughs> but but Peter made it clear very quickly. And I, I think I said at that point or shortly thereafter that I was happy to take the blame. If, if someone has to take the fall for Heston's experimentation, then I'm, I'm happy to take it. <laughs> and how has it been for you, Harold, since, since that moment in terms of your relationship with Heston and how you've both been able to help, you know, form a, not a partnership, but just a, a bridging of minds across the gaps? Well, it's been fantastic. I mean, we've, we've been in touch ever since uh, about yeah. all kinds of things and traveled together to... Uh, to experience things we'd heard about or things that we really wanted to make sure we had a chance to try talking and talking and talking on, you know, car, car trips from the airport across Spain to a little place on the East coast. Uh, it, it's been fantastic, uh, and gotten me to think about things in ways that I never would have otherwise. So it, it's, it's been <clears throat> wonderful both ways. It's been, it was, a, it's just a, a, it's, for me, it's a very precious friendship that's just built and built and built. And I, I know ain't going anywhere. It's, it's, it's here, it's here to stay. As long as I don't, don't get knocked over by a tractor tomorrow morning. But, uh, um, and, and yeah, we've, 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 we've traveled the world together. We had a period of time where every couple of years we would, uh, we would take maybe three days together and go off on a little eating eating um investigative trip where we could then just spend time chewing the cud about all things food related really and there's certainly many and more an endless supply um to explore one thing we wanted to do here for our listeners was in, was include them in one of these brainstorm sessions and obviously you've had so many of these that have gone before but on the heels of your brand new book nosedive it seems like a fantastic opportunity to open your mind and Heston's mind to this. So just for everyone out there, um, Nosedive is your brand new book, which is, which explores what is smell, how it works, and why it's so important. It, it takes us on an adventure across four billion years in the whole globe. As Harold sniffs the ordinary, wet pavements and cut grass, the extraordinary ambergris and truffles, the delightful roses and vanilla, and the challenging swamplands and geraniums. It is the story of the world, of all the smells under our noses, and has been her- heralded as a groundbreaking piece of work. Harold, it sounds remarkable. I know Heston and James and myself have all been looking at it and finding it fascinating, but can you tell us a bit about your thinking behind this book and the journey that it's taken you on? Well, you know, uh, this book actually started, uh, uh, at least the, the very beginnings of it, I can trace back to one of those trips that Heston and I made together to explore what was going on in the world of food and cooking. So I finished the second edition of On Food and Cooking in 2004, and in 2005, um, I came over to the UK and spent some time with Heston, and then he and I went off to Spain, and I'd never been to uh, El Bui before, I'd never been to the Rocas before, so Heston took me on this wonderful kind of mini tour of 
what was happening on the on the modernist landscape. And then on my way home, uh, the very last day I was in London, I had lunch at St. John, and it happened to be August. Uh, it happened to be the beginning of grouse season. And so I uh, went to St. John. I uh, had lunch with Fergus Henderson, and I ordered grouse because I'd never tasted it before. And of all the uh, exciting things that we tasted on that trip, it was that grouse that really knocked me for a loop. You know, I just never tasted it, anything like it before. And I actually had no expectations that it would knock me for a loop because, you know, we'd been to these amazing experimental places. This is a very traditional place. And still, I got uh, this, uh, just had an amazing kind of uh, aphasic moment. Uh, Fergus thought I was having a, a little stroke at the table because I, I couldn't <laughs> speak. Uh, and it was in a good way. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, <laughs> it, it, it became clear eventually that it was in a good way. At the moment, it wasn't so clear. Uh, anyhow, it was that that really striking moment in the context of exploring what was going on in in the modernist uh, kitchen uh, that really got me interested in how something as basic as um, uh, putting a piece of food in my mouth could have such a powerful effect on my on my mind. And uh, long story short, I focused in on smell because of all the senses that are involved in eating, that's the one that gives us the most um, information, the most variety. It, it uh, actually puts us in direct touch with the, the material that we're putting in our mouths and making part of ourselves. And so uh, that, that put me on the path of writing about smell and then my brain doing what it does. It just wanted to understand everything it possibly could. And uh, that's why I started with the Big Bang <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and ended up with food after many chapters about uh, all the other things in the world that have smells. It's even got, you've even got the, the smell of a meteorite or a comet. Yes. Uh, now it's a slightly it's cherry, a, slightly arm, nutty cherry notes to it, did you say? That's right. Benzaldehyde is in that. Uh, in, it's in the, the, Murchison, the Murchison comet uh, or, or meteorite that fell in, in Australia. Here's a question. When, when I first came down to um, Provence and this national park called um, Les Alpilles, the Baby Alps, bauxite? very porous this it's got this this fairly unique mistral wind i've got um a mountain bike and i take it i take it up the, the the these small mountains they're basically hills with rocks but i've noticed lots of coverings rocks rock coverings that, that there's some that they're, they're, they're different colors so hues of blue and green and yellow and some of them had they had gone like almost like an acetate texture so i cracked um, James, you remember this? I cracked some off a rock and I put it in a pan, put it into water, and I boiled it mm. up and smelt it. And it smelt of benzaldehyde. I think somebody was only said to me, "I wouldn't eat that because some 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 of those are very dangerous because it's just like cyanide." Well, uh, benzaldehyde and cyanide usually do show up together in yeah. foods. So mm. uh, bitter almonds. You know the reason that we have mm. sweet almonds. Uh, without, without a lot of uh, flavor is that the bitter almonds, which have a lot of almond essence flavor, have that flavor in combination with, with cyanide, which is not so good for us. You also get the, that uh, benzaldehyde 
uh, flavor when you when you crunch down on uh, you know an apple pip or something. Yeah, like or, that. or you can get it on cherry stones and plum stones and and, and and the inside of a peach kernel as well. It's I think I describe it as the taste is a flavor of marzipan more than almond. It's almond-like, but it's not. Yeah, well, and if, if we didn't have sweet almonds, so almonds without benzaldehyde and cyanide, then we would call it the flavor of, the, of almonds. Uh, but marzipan uh, is, is made by using a few of those bitter almonds diluted in a bunch of ordinary ones so that we get the aroma without the, without the toxin. So next time you eat marzipan, could you just imagine that you're licking a, a comet or a meteorite? <laughs> Heston, when we were making space food, do you remember we asked one of the astronauts what space smelt like? Because there's a period when the Soyuz capsule arrives, they open the airlock and they get a sort of sniff yes. of the, well, lack of atmosphere. I seem to remember it was almonds. I thought it was almonds, he said. That's why when Harold was saying about the meteorite, I thought it was the same thing. I'm sure he said it was almonds when he opened up the capsule. They said space smelt like almonds. Harold, something we were talking about a couple of weeks ago on a Valentine's special we did was the, uh, the smell the smell messages that humans pass to each other in a variety of different ways. And I noticed one of your chapters is all about the sort of human animal. Can you talk a bit about how smell affects our relationships with each other? What happens in us uh, in reaction to smells is really complicated and individual and um, uh, subjective and not that well understood. So I'll tell you the, the little bit I know, which is that... Um, uh, the smells of other people do have influences on us, uh, but they're subliminal. Usually we're not aware. You know, we don't smell something and then react to it. Somehow our, our uh, sensory systems are detecting something and then sending that information to the brain, but kind of bypassing our consciousness so that we like someone or don't like someone depending on how they smell, but it's not really, you know, it's just a kind of general sense we have. It's not that, hmm, that doesn't smell so good. I'm going <laughs> to back away from that person. I definitely smell melatonin. I've smelt it on other people. And if, I, if, if you've been in the sun, I can smell it on my skin. Um, so I know that <clears throat> some hormones, I think, I think they have smells, don't they? But whether we can perceive them or not is another kettle of fish. Yeah, well, hormones are generally uh, peptides or small proteins, and proteins generally are not volatile. You know, we, we, they don't fly through the air and into our nose. Um, but uh, you're mentioning uh, uh, the smell of skin that has been in the sun. Is, that's a wonderful example, a uh, wonderful experiment people can do, you know, is to uh, just put one hand out, um, palm down and the other hand palm up so that one is exposed of course doing this on a sunny day <laughs> and uh and then smell your two hands um and the one that's been exposed to the sun uh has a totally different smell from just uh, 10 or 15 seconds of exposure to the ultraviolet um, radiation from the sun so it just shows you that that uh, there are these um, hints of processes going on in the world around us and, in fact, on us that we'd otherwise be pretty um, unaware of unless we begin to kind of sniff around a bit more than we're used to. I'm just going to jump in here because I know what you're thinking. What if I want to go and sniff something abroad, but I don't know the language? Well, the good news is one of our sponsors is here to help. They are called 
Babbel, and they teach real-life conversations and help you learn foreign languages through interactive dialogues. They have speech recognition technology that helps you improve your pronunciation and accent, and all their lessons are lovingly created by over a hundred language experts. That means real people, not translation machines. So you can learn useful vocabulary and not meaningless phrases. Babbel has recently launched their own learning podcasts, so you can brush up on your Spanish or French while cooking or exercising. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian and German. So once we do escape from lockdown, you'll be able to go abroad with confidence. The teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies. And the great news is Babbel is available as an app or online, so your progress will be synced across all your devices. So wherever you are, you can keep learning. Right now, Babbel is offering all of our listeners six months free with a purchase of six months subscription with the promo code HESTON. So all you have to do is go to babbel.co.uk forward slash play and use a promo code HESTON on your six month subscription to receive another six months for free so we can use all our time in lockdown as wisely as possible. So once we escape, we'll be able to go abroad and sniff anything we like with confidence. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot co dot UK forward slash play promo code Heston. Right, let's get back to our smells. And how, how can people, I mean, not train themselves to be sort of noses like in the perfumery industry, but you know, how, how can we develop this, this sense of smell so that you can start to pick up some of these things that you two are talking about? Yeah, it's, it's something that I learned to do or over the course of the 10 years of this uh, uh, crazed expedition <laughs> of mine. Uh, and it, it's very simple. It's just sniffing, you know, S- sniff at things more than once and think about what it is that you're sniffing and whether you've sniffed it before, uh, whether you've had that, uh, noticed that smell before. Uh, and just do it with everything that it, that it occurs to you to do it with. Uh, so flowers in your garden or, you know, on a rainy day, the rain has a very particular smell. So kind of. Oh, that smell just after it's rained and the sun comes out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a lovely, lovely smell. And how, what about, I mean, I, for me, I think I, 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 it was because I was interested in the subject and fascinated in the subject then I would just go around sniffing with, um, with more awareness. So it's easy to, maybe you could, how about this? This might, this might, this might not be, um, could you take us on a, let's say you're in a, because we think that if you go where I am now, I can, I've got the luxury of going for a ride through a pine forest and, you know, um, lavender groves and fig trees and all things like that. But let's say you're in a city and you're going to walk, you're just going to, go and buy a paper newspaper or a or a milk a, a, a pint of milk how about if if is it if it just, just take us on a let's say you got a hundred or two hundred meter it was however long a walk that 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 that, that um it takes to you for, to get to where you want to go a couple of things that you could actually pick up on the way a couple of smells yeah and and, and then maybe some other things those smells might be in yeah. So I'm asked this question because this morning my tire burst and I had to go and have it replaced. And as I pulled up to the, with, with, with Stephanie, my missus, pulled up to the, the, the tire place, I got this hit of sort of toasted bread and coffee and a bit of garlic. And then I realized it must have been coming from the rubber. 
or or else the people at the garage or maybe there was a bakery yeah and they're, and they're having garlic eating garlic bread yeah, work shy french time and <laughs> i have noticed before what rub when slightly burning rubber does have a there is a coffee characteristic to it for me for me i mean i'm not saying i'm right or wrong yeah but um is it is it just is there any tips you could give somebody walking you know i'm just gonna just walk down the road well, my, what can I smell? To begin with, just uh, to make the point, uh, and it's you know the the key to noticing things like that is that when we smell things, we're actually smelling bouquets, or uh, you know, uh, for a musical analogy, we're we're smelling chords. We're not smelling individual notes. So, the no. smell of rubber is actually made up of many many different notes, mm. and it can share those notes with lots of other things in the world, mm. including coffee. So uh, there are sulfur compounds that are very important in, in tires and also very important in coffee and very important in meat and very important in, in uh, cooked eggs. So uh, James, can I, there's a there's a next new recipe. Just can you write those ingredients? <laughs> <laughs> Get now, the tires quick. Now, now that's taking flavor pairing too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, once once you become aware of the fact that there are these notes in in what seem to be just kind of overall smells, then you begin to pick up these um, echoes of other things, and that's. Part of what makes, for me anyway, the, the experience of sniffing at things so fascinating is that you do pick up these, these hints of other things that you've experienced in life uh, that you never would have connected with whatever it is you happen to be smelling at that moment. So, so would you say it's, it's like a bit like learning a new language? you start to recognize words and then you start to recognize sentences and then you start to recognize you know it, 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 it's just a new language that you you can only really build up by just doing it yeah doing it with a, with a, with awareness yeah exactly paying attention to uh, to what it yeah. is that that's coming in you know you breathe many times a minute and every time you breathe in you're bringing molecules of the outside world into you to be observed, to be experienced, um, and usually so you could have you breathe. You're breathing new life, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Every time you potential, potentially. Yeah, Harold, is there a way? And this is a this is a layman question. Um, uh, sometimes I have the experience where I, I I have a smell and it comes very gently into my brain and I can't quite grab it and it disappears like a mist. This might sound daft, but is there a way? to actually conduct the smell? Should I be breathing deeper when I do it? Should I be taking small amounts of it? Is there a way that you have you can train your nose to, to, to get as much out of something as you can? Uh, yes, uh, and it involves uh, actually varying the, the sniffing, you know, so not just pulling in long and deep, but doing that and then taking a break and then short, sharp sniffs. And then back and forth, because it's important to realize uh, not only that uh, smells are chords, but also that the brain is constantly editing what it is that we experience. And if you take, take in a long, deep breath of one thing, then the brain will say after a second or two, all right, got it, forget about it, and it'll not pay as much attention to it. But if you, if you uh, alternate that smell with another smell that's very different and then come back to it, you'll get it more sharply. 
And so uh, varying the pattern in which you present that stimulus to your brain will help your brain pay more attention to it. And the rate and the rate of breathing in. So if you or you know, if you draw in slower or or or, or quicker, and I <clears throat> I am um, I've also played around with uh, trying to sniff with it with through mouth and nose at the same time. <laughs> I'm sounding like a dog now, but uh, and, and left uh, sometimes I, I notice with like if you're sniffing wine, left left nostril and right nostril. If you clench one and clench the other, it, they're sort of two perspectives of the same smell. For me, it's a little bit like. Um, uh, uh, treble and bass. Yeah, experiments have shown that that we um, we smell with both nostrils kind of separately. So the brain knows this input is coming from this side and this input is coming yeah. from this side. It puts them together usually, but then if you start to mess with it by closing one off or or paying more attention to one side, then then you can begin to notice these differences. This book for me is just truly remarkable it is it is uh, it is a book that that will i uh, should and will be read for years to come you can see just the sheer amount of work that's gone into it and we, we all it's not the, the people would automatically think as i guess i'm guessing i would have thought with harold's first book that you know we're talking about the smell of maybe lavender and truffles and roasted meat and coffee and toasted bread and maybe cooked eggs and whatever but this is the smell of the of our planet our relationship with ourselves and the planet around us and some of those smells are uh, the ones that i'm also interested in the ones that seem to cross over so they can exist in really horrible things but those some of those molecules exist also in really beautiful things so by smelling i know remember i i um, came up with it, came this combination of banana and parsley, and I, it was purely. I, I was in France. I was. I made like a, a. It was a rabbit stew with fennel and potatoes on the iron pot and barbecue. It was ready. Lifted the lid, threw some chopped parsley, and put the lid down for a minute. Lifted the lid, smelt again, and I just got hit with this massive smell of banana. So I started playing around with banana and parsley. It, it's a. It just for me, it's a wonderful combination. Then you look at. Um, Ingredient things like so. My, some of my questions for you, which I find very interesting, I, I have Howard and I spoke a couple of weeks ago, so I just relay this argument I had. Um, I, I had sort of in the, just over the new year, we uh, at a at dinner with sort of the group of people, and I'd just been flicking through Harold's book, and there's the, his section on strawberries. How, how I'll ask you to go into a little bit more detail. Um, and this lady at the end of the dinner made gin and tonics with strawberries and said, this is very feminine. And it was actually very nice. And she sort of rubbed a bit of a squash strawberry around the rim of the, of the, of the drink. And I just read um, from your book about the, the undertones of strawberry. So you've got this wonderful, fragrant, strawberry, fruity, floral notes then the undertones are sort of molecules that you can also find in areas of the body that we wouldn't necessarily need want to talk about at the dinner table. So I turned around <laughs> to 
the, the guy next to me and i said it was to do with them near a, a female's private parts and i and so i didn't want to talk about that at the table but i had the book and i was really excited so i put my <laughs> hand over my mouth and my missus heard me saying the word vagina <laughs> so so <laughs> to try and explain to her that I was actually talking about aroma molecules in strawberries. And if you smell the strawberry with this in mind, you can actually smell this. Over to you, Harold. Harold, Harold explain this. <laughs> it's all your fault. <laughs> well, actually, you know, what you're describing is exactly what I love, which is to say, you know, uh, making a connection in your brain between two different yeah. things that seem very unlikely and then uh, sensing the the uh, relationship between them or or the other way yeah. around, sensing the relationship yeah. and then making the intellectual connection. So in the case of strawberries, uh, the way I became aware of those undertones is that uh, I would go to the farmer's market in the summertime and I would buy way more strawberries than I could eat in one go. So I would put them in a plastic bag in the fridge. And then when I would pull them out the next day and open the plastic bag, what I got was this whiff of something not so nice. And then the strawberry. I think they'd call it funky. Yes, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the, the nice word. Uh, yeah. And it turns out that uh, those molecules accumulate in the bag uh, in a way that the, the fruity esters don't. And so when you open the bag, you get this immediate punch of sulfur compounds, which then dissipates. Yeah. Um, and then after that, when you taste strawberries, you can, you can if you're looking for it, you can get that note. You can notice that it's there. And I, lo I love that. It's discovering. So you can smell something horrible, let's say, because you, oh, I can't go there. It's disgusting. And then if somebody, I remember that there was that experiment that, did, did Ed Rolls do it? But um, on uh, cat feces and cheese, and, and where, where the, 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 they smell very this similarity. It's like it's like dried parmesan and the old fashioned dried parmesan, which I don't even know if you can buy anymore. But it smelled like vomit, uh, as, as opposed to fresh, yeah, fresh parmesan. And I remember um, once my my restaurant manager, the duck, years ago, was putting the cheese board out, but I didn't know. And I thought we it was upstairs where the office and the bathroom was, the changing rooms. And I thought it was blocked drains. And I thought. That is disgusting. What's that smell? And then Nigel, Nigel come out with a cheese trolley, you know, and ah, c'est fromage. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the context changed, and it was a wonderful thing. So to go into challenging smells and try and pick out um, elements in it, and this leads me on to another question for you, Harold, which is asparagus. Uh, and... I have a follow-on question from this, but asparagus so might sometimes, I, the enjoyment of asparagus is, I also, it, my wee smells of sort of stagnant water sometimes after eating you know, generous quantities of asparagus. Uh, why is that? <laughs> well, in fact, this, is, this is, has been the subject of intense scientific scrutiny. <laughs> Uh, uh, amazingly enough. And so we know a fair amount about it. And it turns out that, um, uh, first of all, not everyone can smell those molecules that cause the, that swampy character 
which are sulfur compounds. Yeah. Again, sulfur has a lot to answer for in the smell world. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, the, there are particular um, um, peptides, again, the protein molecules in asparagus mm. that are apparently there for defensive purposes. Uh, they're fairly unique to asparagus, and uh, we metabolize those uh, peptides into components uh, as we digest the the food. And one yeah. of the results of the of that digestion is this molecule that is swampy, um, methane thiol is its name. And so, uh, for those of us who have the right metabolism or the wrong metabolism, we produce a lot of that. Uh, molecule in our urine. Some people have a different metabolism and don't. And so uh, you can actually analyze the genetics of human beings by whether yeah. or not they produce that smell and whether or not they can actually detect it once they've produced it. So some make it, some smell it, some don't make it, some don't smell it, some don't make it and smell it, and, you know, the, <laughs> those four variants. Yeah. And can then, you smell it in other okay. people, Harold? Can you smell it in other people if, if they're making yes, it? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I can testify. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Experiments>. <laughs> I love it. Harold, which, along your journey, which smells did you find most surprising, most curious? What things along your 10-year journey to make, writing this book really surprised you? So uh, I really didn't know anything before I wrote the book about uh, incense and perfumes. And uh, boy, those are amazing materials. Uh, I'm very lucky to have uh, just across the San Francisco Bay from me a, a wonderful natural perfumer named Mandy Aftel. And uh, I, in fact, I think she's provided some uh, materials for the fat duck over the years. She has, yes. Yeah. And yeah. uh, so she has this amazing collection of uh, materials that nowadays are very hard to find. Uh, you know, the, the um, uh, glands that produce the smells produced by musk deer and by beavers and um, ambergris from, uh, from whales. She's got all yeah. of these things and more. And... So to, to go to her place and uh, just kind of sniff through some of these materials, uh, especially the animal ones, because, you know, you, you expect that the, the anal gland of a beaver is not going to smell very good. But in fact, <laughs> <laughs> You've been there so we don't have to, Harold. That's the important Harold, thing. Harold, would you say, because I, I, I smell, uh, do you remember, I, you know Ivan Day, the historian, the amazing historian, his house is a museum to fill yes. up in, 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 in the lakes. He had because it's illegal. You can't take a, a you know, it was, a, it was a, it, I think it was a pretty unpleasant process to get the anal gland from a, from a, from a, from a deer. But he had one he found in a little antique shop, and it looks like a juniper berry. It was in a bottle. He reckons it's a hundred years old, and it still smelt. He put it in icing sugar for about a month, and then sprinkled it on his mince pies. And it might be a bit like your grouse. Maybe. I, it was an, a, one of those arresting moments. And I wondered, going back to your grouse moment, was there an element, a bit like the, there's a, there's a, there's a theme running through this, sort of fecal private part, no, armpit notes, all, all of that sort of stuff. Was there an element of that when you first put the grouse in your mouth? Was it almost like, hang on a second, something's happening to me here. This should be disgusting. 
but in fact, it's doing something completely the opposite. Yeah, no, that was exactly it. It was, uh, I was expecting it to be like, any other game bird, you know, like duck or yeah, uh, yeah. squab or something like that. And in fact, uh, it was, it, it really did taste spoiled. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a very mm. well hung grouse. And um, I, my first, well, I, I was, of course, uh, conflicted. That's why I had the mini, what seemed like a mini stroke, because my brain <laughs> yeah. was going back and forth between, this is disgusting, spit it out, and you're sitting with the chef who just made it, don't spit it out, and, you know, pay attention to it. Why is it, <laughs> why is it okay to be eating something like this? I mean, all these thoughts were kind of going through my mind at the same yeah. time. So I think that probably is part of what you were experiencing with the, the, the musk in the... Yeah, the, it was like, oh, my, it's like, oh, hang on a second. Can I have the smell, please? It was, <laughs> it was something that I, I don't like that, but I like it. It was, there was this, this, I don't know, this good, bad, bad, good. And that play and that, and, and the, the internal sort of dialogue that, 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 that I generated with it, it, it was fascinating. Harold, I've always been curious about, you know, there's some sort of universal smells that people love. And some of them I understand in terms of the positive memories like cut grass and things like that. But, you know, petrol comes up over and over again. People love the smell of petrol. Why is it that something that in theory should have no attraction to us in terms of its use appeals to us quite universally when you speak to people? What did you discover about that? Petrol is, um, uh, and things like it, are um, uh, very heady you know, they're very aromatic. They they kind of jump right up into the nose in a way that yeah. a lot of other smells do. And they're intoxicating, you know. The, if you, that's why people uh, sniff airplane glue and things like that. It's because yeah. it, it, it has this effect on both on the nose and on the brain. So I think it's, it's something like that. It, it's something that it feels like it's going from your nose straight up into your head. And that can be a very pleasant feeling, maybe too pleasant. Because you do get that in things like, but white truffles in particular can have a sort of paraffiny note to them. And, and I don't know, is that some of that contributed by terpenes in say pine, pine um, and like terps? Because they're quite heady aromas as well, aren't they? Yeah, and that and that's a very particular molecule. That's the uh, it's actually a relative of naphthalene. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, all of these things they're um, what they have in common are molecules that do not contain any oxygen. They're just carbon and hydrogen. They're hydrocarbons, and hydrocarbons do have this tendency to kind of rush up into your nose and into your head and give you this sensation of, uh, well, in the case of pinene, uh, you know, freshness, um, yes. but also, uh, uh, you know, on the edge of being intoxicating. And what about, okay, I'm not going to move, move swiftly on to wet dog. <laughs> the smell of wet dog, which I think my, my son, when he was a when he was a young teenager, and there would be, you know, whether he's playing rugby or whatever sports, the clothes would be on his bedroom floor. And sometimes you'd open the door and you get hit with the smell of wet dog. Now I've encountered this in the kitchen, in um, in a couple of mainly mainly seafood, some stuff that's come from the sea. And sometimes certain types of kombu, when we've marinated kombu, that, that, that Japanese seaweed, 
and in certain um, razor clams. And I, I don't find that smell pleasing. For me, I love razor clams. Sometimes they can have this taste of wet dog, and sometimes the kombu can have this wet dog character. What, what's that? That is a good question. <laughs> uh, it's exactly what you just said. That is to say, bacteria uh, kind of growing on these things um, and becoming a little too prominent. I mean, a little bit is fine. In the case of wet dog, it's pretty well understood that um, what happens with with pets is that they have microbiomes, uh, just as we do. Uh, we have a skin microbiome as well as a, a gut microbiome. And the skin microbiome on uh, animals can hang out in the hair follicles uh, and grow to remarkable numbers. And we're not that aware of them until uh, the pet gets wet. And when that happens, um, the, the hair... Uh, the strands of hair absorb the moisture and the moisture then drives out the volatiles that have been accumulating or over the course of days or weeks or months depending on the last time your pet had a, a bath uh, and then you get this burst of bacterial activity that before had been kind of below the radar and I think that's probably what's happening with uh, with the seaweed that gives you uh, the, that similar effect I'm afraid, unfortunately, we have run out of time on this fascinating delve inside the mind of both Heston and Harold. Uh, I must urge everyone out there to go and grab hold of Nosedive, a field guide to the world's smells, because uh, there is so much in there that everyone has been fascinated with it and it, there's such a variety of things to explore in there and so much depth. It really does feel like a sort of whole life's work in it harold just before you go we obviously would adore having you back on this podcast in the future because i know that we've all got a great deal more questions for you in the world of smell and far beyond that as well um is there anything in terms of a a, a plug for your book to our listeners out there just give a quick uh, a quick thought to our listeners what they can gain from buying your book and blow your trumpet as hard as you like <laughs> I call it a field guide, um, but it's not the kind of field guide that uh, you know a birder or or a butterfly watcher is going to think of something portable that you can carry with you. It's a it's a tome. I have to admit, it's not something you're going to carry with you. But I hope it'll be uh, back at home uh, on your desk, so that when you're out and about and you smell something that uh, catches your attention. Uh, and you wonder what it is and what else it might be connected with and maybe why it caught your attention, what it's telling you about the world, then the book will be waiting for you on your desk to, to find out. Brilliant. And I, I, and I just remember I, that that's the thing I love. And I suppose it's what I've done in my, in my, in my cooking is making connections that actually aren't apparent, obviously, um, apparently obvious at the beginning. So it, you might you know, you might walk past a building site or somebody's, you know, there's smell of tarmac or wet paint or polyfiller or, you know, something that isn't, a, isn't, isn't a food, but it's just things that's part of our, you go down the underground and there's a very unique smell in the London underground. So revisiting that smell that maybe you have smelt aware with, with, with being aware of or, or, or unaware but with more awareness and see if you can pick anything out. It doesn't matter if you can't, but can I pick, oh, there's a slight hint of, I don't know, bananas are there or, you know, toasted bread or wet socks. It doesn't have to be something edible because these molecules 
are all over our planet. They're all they're, they're, we're, we're, they're, we're surrounded by them and we breathe them in every single day in all sorts of, you know, almost an infinite number of uh, combinations. So that's why I think this book is just, I mean, it's a, it's a work of art. And to all our listeners, obviously you're always on this journey with us. We want you to get involved. Please do send in all your thoughts on this. We want to hear all your smells, interesting combinations, things you've noticed along the way because Harold and Heston's mind are always open to as much new input and stimuluses. So please do send them all in to at Heston's podcast on Instagram or Heston's podcast at gmail.com and we would love to be able to explore them further with Harold when he next comes on and we dive into our noses again. But for now, Harold, thank you ever so much for being our first guest on the podcast we appreciate it hugely thank you all and heston thank you ever so much for taking us on a journey to the center of smell with harold thank you